Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 90 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the works of writer-director J.J. Abrams and his extended Bad Robot universe. I'm your co-host, Matt Crandall, here as always with Marcelo Inostroza as we continue our dive into Fringe Season 2. Today, we are going to be talking about episodes 2 and 3. The first up in that batch is episode 2, Night of Desirable Objects, which is written by Pinkner and Wyman, directed by Brad Anderson, who has directed a bunch of episodes of season one. This one, Marcelo, we've moved from production of this show taking place in New York and almost all of our things happening in the big city. And now that we're shooting in Vancouver, we decided to set one of our mysteries over in Smallville as something goes wrong in a a cornfield. Are you trusting that the Scarecrow is keeping the big bads away, or is there a lot more going on under the surface here? I think there's a lot more going on under the surface. And if I just may say, I miss the big city vibe of season one. Granted, I have no problem with suburbia because, hell, I live in suburbia. But I miss the big city aspect of Fringe because you could definitely tell the change in location. The thing that I loved about this episode is that this episode has a very similar, not a very similar story, but a very similar feel to an X-Files episode called Tombs, in which Mulder and Scully investigate the murderers of people who get their livers taken out because of a man who needs livers to live is attacking people and he's killing people every, what, every 30 years to survive. So... This episode had a, had a very X-Files feel to it, but with a very, very interesting twist that I liked a lot. I really, really did. And I love the scene where our team shows up on the on the crime scene in the, in the middle of a, a cornfield. And Walter goes, you smell that? Fresh air. You can breathe out here. I was like, really, man? You're fucking investigating a murder and you're talking about fresh air? Classic Walter. Classic Walter to be concerned with something seemingly average while everybody else is concerned with something else. And I did like that, yes, this is, and they say we're in Pennsylvania or somewhere, because it's always got to be somewhere near the the Boston, like within a drive of Boston or New York or wherever we're going. So I like that, and it's, you know, a bunch of people are disappearing out of this field. And it's starting to become a pattern, which is why they're looking into it. And while they dig into it, they find some weird goo that paralyzes you. And I like that moment where Walter realizes he's like, oh, in 23 minutes, I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. Peter's like, well, that's too much information. And he's like, well, I'm going to actually need you to unzip me and help because I'm paralyzed in my left hand. And it's like, okay, this is something interesting where people are disappearing in this cornfield. We see that underneath... There's some sort of creature and his accomplice, we don't know why, is this farmer who's helping bury the bodies or whatever it is he's doing down there. Yeah, so this did have a very X-Files vibe where, you know, there's some sort of creature going on, but there's also a human element helping to cover this up that they have to uncover because we know there's something odd about the small town sheriff who seems to be really offended that the FBI is here. There's this strange farmer who's out digging holes, have a lot more going on than just the fringe aspect. This small town cover-up kind of thing that's running through this feels very X-Files. And to see Dunham back 
trying to work a case so fresh out of the hospital is very interesting because this is not Olivia Dunham at her best. She's in agony a lot of the time. She's still getting her feet under her after the events of the premiere. I really like the way that Anator played Olivia Dunham in this episode because as you just mentioned, for the most part in this episode, she is really trying to get her feet under her. She's walking around with a cane all over the place. Uh, at one point, when they go and talk to the Swarmer for the first time, Olivia walks upstairs, and while investigating upstairs, she hears noises. Like, for some reason, Olivia's senses are all heightened, are all heightened where she can hear phantom noises and, and sounds of insects or something. So she's looking at a room, and all of a sudden, she pulls her gun out. She turns halfway around and almost shoots Peter in the head. So... I really like the way that Olivia struggled in this episode. Also, I really liked the the conclusion to this episode and what happens when we find out how this specific monster is, why this specific monster is killing people and where he ultimately came from. And his connection to the farmer, I found particularly interesting because it is the, it is the type of connection that I wanted in season one. My, my main complaint in season one of Fringe is that you would get these bad guys who would just do awful things to other individuals because they could. But this story hit a little bit closer to home because the, the bad guy in this episode did something that something that he did created a monster. So I really, really like that aspect of this episode. Yeah, that was good. And the way that they find out that, you know, this guy created a monster is really disturbing. So I do like that. Yes, that moment where Peter almost gets shot in the head by Olivia freaks us out. But we heard like some weird whispers and they realize that, you know, this farmer is involved. So they bring him into custody. Somehow they they realize, you know, something is going on here. We need to dig up the bodies of his dead wife and his dead son. They exhume the graves, and that part is really off-putting. And they open the wife's grave, and they're like, yep, checks out. But then when they go to open the baby boy's coffin, there's nothing in it. There's just a, a hole, and they look in the ground, and it's a hole that goes super deep. And then we're realizing that his wife had lupus. He did something... Uh, which is a condition that wouldn't have allowed her to have a baby. The The baby wouldn't have survived. And so he has done something to make the baby survive. But in doing that, he has created this, not like a regular child, but some sort of creature that burrows into the ground and feeds off of humans and has a paralytic goo. So I thought that that was cool that, you know, this whole time it was because this guy wanted a child so bad that he went to these great lengths, even if it was this weird, freaky, monster, if monstrous child. So I liked that that was the reasoning. It wasn't he was just messing around with science because he was a mad scientist. It was an actual personable reason. The FBI custody has the worst security of all time because they go to interrogate the farmer again and he has hung himself. Because he knows that he has done all of these horrible things to help support his child when you kill six people and possibly more over time to help your child. 
you got to start evaluating your life. And in those moments, he realizes what he has done and kills himself. And Olivia comes in and they're like, oh, great. Nobody thought to be on suicide watch on this guy. What are we doing here? What are you thinking of FBI custody when this guy can just hang himself in the middle of an interrogation room? That moment to me, I called absolute foul and absolute bullshit because the room that he's in has a two-way mirror. So are you telling me that nobody is behind that two-way mirror or nobody is standing outside of the interrogation room? I mean, this guy had to pry the light fixture off of the roof to get the wire to hang himself in. And you're telling me nobody heard that? Yeah, it's very far-fetched. But I do appreciate that we just wanted to wrap up the story at that point. We didn't want to have some sort of emotional scene of this guy begging for forgiveness. I found it really odd that Meghan Markle was in this episode for like two seconds and she didn't say anything. She just found like a like a book or something. And she was at the gravesite when Olivia and Peter were exhuming the, the body of the farmer's wife and the son. But she didn't do anything. So I'm like, why? Why? Why are you here? Like, what's the point of you now? I don't, I don't when they were shooting this episode, it seemed that Meghan, Meghan Markle had a bigger part. And then for time or for whatever reason, she was cut out. And while they were editing this episode, the editor of this episode just forgot to take out that last, just forgot to remove her from that scene. Or It just felt very odd to me. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, she was basically there just to remind us that she existed. But I do think that the key to the scenes that they left in is that last week we did see in a montage at the end, she was pouring over notes and there were a lot of notes about fringe events, but also religious stuff. And the thing that she goes for in this episode is the Bible. She goes straight to the Bible and starts looking at it. So, like, there's something going on with this character and religious iconography and something because she was making notes last week that we saw there was some religious context to. And in this, she goes straight to the Bible. So I think that that must be intentional at this point. That's what I'm I'm sort of running with. But I do feel like she was just around to remind us that Charlie is not around because evil Charlie is still hanging about in the shadows. And I love that the first time we see Charlie in this episode and he comes into the like pawn shop and he wants to use the typewriter in the back. The music is so sinister. The second that we cut to Charlie Francis that it's like in case you forgot that this guy is not our Charlie and he is a bad guy. We are going to remind you with the most overbearing evil music you have ever heard. And so we cut to that and he he uses the typewriter. We do see his instructions near the end of the episode that says you have to do something to help Olivia remember what happened. So now we know that evil Charlie wants Dunham to remember the events that has happened because she still is not sure where she was, what happened. In trying to get back to good, she gets a visit from Nina Sharp. And Nina lets her know that there was a specialist that she saw when she was in recovery. And she gives Olivia the card of this guy named Sam Weiss. Which is a name that every time they say Sam Weiss, I always think Sam Weiss Gamgee. And so I just, Sam Weiss, okay, but really separate those two words. Because every time you say Sam Weiss, I think Sam Weiss Gamgee. You know, take me up to Mount Doom. We're we're going to get a BLT. Um, so I love that Nina intervenes and says, like, you got to visit this guy. And the end of the episode for Dunham is her going to a bowling alley and trying to track down this guy. 
it is played by Kevin Corrigan, who is a character actor who's popped up in, you know, some Sopranos, Pineapple Express. And uh, he's working at the bowling alley. And initially, him and Dunham have like kind of like a rude interaction. And then she realizes this is the guy. And he's like, I've been waiting for you and have the headaches started. And that's kind of where we leave things there. And it's ominous because, as you mentioned, with this new agent trying to fill in and be like the the new super agent, but she's not really f- sticking. We want Dunham back to good so that she can sniff out this Charlie situation. So I like that we're trying to get her back to, to full Dunham mode, but I start to get a little apprehensive when it's Nina Sharp who has pointed her to this guy. Do you think we can trust Sam Weiss and is Nina on the level? Is this some sort of massive dynamic conspiracy? Marcella, what are you thinking in these final moments of this episode when Olivia goes to the bowling alley? If you asked me that question last season, is Nina Sharp on the level? I would have told you, hell no. This woman is shady as hell. Don't trust her. But now I tend to want to believe that Nina Sharp is on the level until she doesn't want to be on the level. So when we first meet this owner of this bowling alley, first of all, he tr- he charmed me from moment one. I was like, why would Nina Sharp send Aliwa Dunham to this bowling alley to see this guy? I don't I I don't understand. Like 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 the minute Olivia was told that from 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 this guy, you know, she says, "I'm looking for this guy named Sam," and this guy says, "Oh, Sam." Met a girl and he uh, he went away. And the minute Olivia starts walking away and makes her way back to the stairs, I'm like, that's Sam. And I'm like, this guy just seems so open and so odd. I'm like, what? how can this guy help Olivia Dunham? So I'm really, really intrigued to see how he helps Olivia get back on her feet. Also, I'm really thinking with Meghan Markle's character... I don't remember at all what they do with her. So I hope that they do something really, really cool with her. But I'm afraid that they're just going to drop it. I'm afraid that in one episode, she's either going to get killed or they're going to say they transfer her for some reason. But I don't think that she's going to get a chance to work with the team in the way that I thought she was going to. Because if she if she's the true replacement for Charlie, I would think that she would be a bigger part of the team already. It doesn't make sense to me that the writers have her over here looking at, you know, doing some research and looking at religious iconography and not have her front and center with the team. That doesn't make sense to me. So I hope I hope what they do with her is interesting. Yeah, let's hope that there's some sort of good resolution and they don't just say Amy Jessup decided to become a paralegal and hopped on a plane to go shoot suits in Toronto, which is probably where we're actually heading. Uh, Next up for us, though, we are heading into season two, episode three. It is entitled Fracture, written by David Wilcox, directed by Brian Spicer. This is much more a seemingly straightforward case of the week episode. They do give us a little bit of overarching mythology towards the beginning and end of the episode. But for the most part, we pick up with this cop who gets a call and they say, you got to go and you got to go to this train station and meet a guy in a trench coat and a briefcase. And as soon as he goes to this guy with the trench coat and briefcase, he starts turning into some sort of human bomb and he explodes. Marcelo, what are you thinking 
as this guy is exploding in a train station and Fringe Team now has to figure out how, why, what the fuck just happened. I thought the opening was awesome because at first the opening to the sequence is misleading because you think that this cop is there to stop this guy. But the second he interacts with this guy in the trench coat, he, his, his skin starts to go solid and then he explodes. So it's a very, very disorienting episode because at first you think the guy in the trench coat has a bomb, but then you discover that the cop is the bomb. And I really, really loved the opening to this episode. With that being said, I thought this episode was interesting, but I thought that it needed a little bit more. Because like you said, we do get the mythology points at the beginning and at the end. Actually, the scene that we get at the end is sort of major, but we're not going to get to that yet. But I thought this episode was good, but I thought that I needed just a little bit more to uh, keep my interest for the full hour. Yeah, I don't disagree. And I think that part of it is they wanted to give Peter a little bit of a chance to kind of do his own thing because as they investigate this guy who blew up we realize that he was a vet and that a lot of his people were involved in a secret military experiment and because peter has ties to the other side of the world and people who have been in close contact with the military peter goes and talks to a friend of his from iraq to get more information and so peter gets like a little bit more to do but it's not it's not like a fun mystery. It's not as fringy as some of the things. Obviously, turning people into human bombs is terrifying. But because this played like a very light episode of 24 or something, it wasn't as engaging as some of the other episodes of the week. I want to spend more time with the fringe team, even just in Walter's lab. We get a couple of good scenes. There is a scene where um, Peter says to Astrid, I, I need my own bedroom. I wake up in the morning to this guy and he's singing opera. And Astrid's like, well, your father has a wonderful voice. That's nice. And Peter says, not when he's doing jumping jacks. And did I mention he was naked? And in that moment, you're just imagining John Noble singing opera and doing naked jumping jacks. And it's like, that is ridiculous. That is amazing. So I, I find... You know, there is some great moments in here, but overall, it just felt like an episode of a different show for the most part, because we are tracking down these military people and trying to figure out what the next target could be and how they turn these people into the human bombs. And what we realize is that there's a certain frequency that actually solidifies their skin and then causes them to explode and that it's an old colonel who worked with all these people who has been making sure that they inject this weird drug basically daily for an extended period of time that turns them into this, as as you said, like their skin goes translucent and hard and weird, and then they explode. And we find out that he controls it by a radio signal. He sets up the meats, and we still don't know, as we're learning all this information, we, we see that this colonel is played by... Um, Canadian character acting legend Stephen McHattie, who is best known probably from his appearance in a bunch of Zack Snyder movies. He was in Watchmen as Old Night Owl. So he's the the colonel that they're after. And the whole time they're just trying to figure out like why and what. And finally, when we do get the reveal that he has sent this woman to be detonated 
And again, it's a person in a trench coat with a briefcase. And every time they encounter these people, the briefcase people have no idea what this meeting is about. So the people who are going to explode are told, like, you're meeting a contact and you're going to take the briefcase. And the first scene we see that they have no connection. They they don't really know each other. And in this, the guy's like, you're mistaken. It's not me. What are you thinking about these briefcase dudes? And why is this colonel so obsessed with blowing them up? I really thought that this colonel was just a dick. But the other thing that I was wondering is because when this episode starts, we see a guy in the we see a guy in a trench coat holding a briefcase. And at the end of this episode, we see we see a similar guy in a trench coat holding a briefcase. And I'm like, is that the same guy? It can't be the same guy because the because the first guy blew up. So it has to be a different guy. I thought I thought that they used the same actor in the beginning of the in the beginning of this episode and the and the end of this episode I'm like did they make a mistake or am I or am I just um or am I just seeing things here but I really liked the the way that this case of the week sort of folded into the serialized plot that we're going to be following this season the colonel you know once he gets apprehended the colonel is speaking to agent broyles and he says I did this for a reason, right? These people who are carrying these messages, they want to hurt us because they are planning something. They are doing something. So I took it upon myself to make a forward move and attack them first. And if we don't do something before they move, it could be the end of all of us. Or whatever these people are carrying in these briefcases could be the end of all of us. And then we fast forward to the end and actually we see one of these carriers, we see one of these people in black trench coats going into a diner and then passing this briefcase to somebody and the guy sitting there is having a roast beef sandwich with some, you know, you know, with some hot sauce or some hot pepper and you're like, hot sauce, hot pepper, roast beef sandwich? That can only be one guy. He hands a, brief, he hands a briefcase over to an observer and the observer opens the briefcase and you see pictures of Walter Bishop. So are you telling me that for some reason Walter is going to be the end of all of us? And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? How is our Walter going to be the end of going to be the end of us? Or are they talking about somebody else that we haven't met yet? The other thing that I found really interesting is that while Peter and Olivia are investigating this, Sam or Sam Wise in the last episode said to Olivia, the headaches are going to start soon. And Olivia's like, eh, I believe you. That's a bunch of bullshit. The headaches are not going to start. I'm going to be fine. So while Olivia is questioning the wife of the cop who blew up at the start of the episode, Olivia starts having this massive, massive headache. And all of a sudden, she sees flashes of where she's been and what she's gone through. And my question is to you, is why do you think... Uh, bad, you know, bad Agent Francis wants Olivia to remember. Wouldn't bad Francis want Olivia to forget where she's gone? Like, like I don't, like I don't understand why they want to force Olivia to remember in the first place. Yeah, that's definitely a question we have because bad Francis, his job at first was to eliminate Olivia, seemingly so that some meeting would never happen and that she would not be able to tell people where she was and what went on. 
So it is a weird change that now they want her to remember. And as we are doing this case of the week, you know, she does meet with Sam a couple of times. She does have the headaches. She is getting glimpses. So something is happening to her. And we aren't sure if this is a good thing or a bad thing, especially because now that we know that bad Francis wants her to remember, I almost don't want those memories to come back because I'm worried that that's going to set her on a path that's going to lead to the dark side. That's going to lead to something bad because if if team bad Francis wanted to remember, then maybe it's better if she doesn't. So that's what I'm kind of thinking in those moments. And to your questioning of what's inside this briefcase can be the end of us. The only thing we don't know is that this Colonel, he knew enough that he knew the other side was using these briefcases as a means of communication to keep tabs on their plan and whatever they're doing. But we don't know if he actually knows what the messages are. So when he says the the messages in here are going to be the end of us and we see that they're actually photos of Walter, I don't know if we can believe him. He's crazy. He was setting off human bombs. So he's the only guy who told us for sure that whatever's in this briefcase is going to be the end of us. Maybe the thing in the briefcase is actually the thing that could save us and that's why they're keeping tabs on it. So we still don't know why the Observer would be keeping tabs on everything Walter is doing at this point in time and whether Walter is actually a linchpin in destroying our universe or is he one of the main people who can save it and that's why they're monitoring him to make sure that when the time comes they know where he is so he doesn't do the thing that could be the thing that could stop their plan. So I think that's that's a moment where it's just it could be an unreliable narrator. So the guy who gave us that information, I don't know that we can trust him. That That's a very good point, but I like to counter that by saying this. If the observers want to keep an eye on Walter to make sure that he's okay, right? Our Walter is very unstable and he's very unreliable. So what makes you think that our Walter can stay lucid enough to possibly save us in a life-threatening situation? And the other thing that I was thinking, maybe the reason why Team Francis wants Olivia to remember her trip to somewhere is because maybe Team Bad Francis wants to find somebody. Right. And I think one of the things you might be alluding to that at this point, I don't know that we would have made the connection. Those photos in the briefcase might not be our Walter. They might be a different Walter which would explain why those pictures and briefcases are coming into our universe and being passed around like information that they needed to have that they didn't have at their fingertips right now. So I think that is also something that certainly we can, given a little bit of a scope of more knowledge that we might have in terms of Fringe, but I don't know if I would be thinking, is this guy that they're keeping tabs on just our crazy mad scientist? Or is this the Walternate who might have been spending the last 18 years plotting revenge against the man who stole his son, Liam Neeson style? So there are lots of questions going forward that we will have to address. Marcelo, any final thoughts on Fracture? I thought it was a I thought it was a better episode than the first episode that we talked about, but the main thing I liked about it is how the main bad guy of this week had a connection to the to the bigger story that will be that will be uh given to us 
here in the weeks to come. Also, I liked the scene with the observer in the in the restaurant. I really, really did. I thought that I thought that was awesome. And I loved the scene when Olivia got tired of listening to Samwise and Samwise picked up a bowling ball and he was he was about to he said you know, come back tomorrow, Olivia, and we'll pick out and we'll give you a bowling ball, right? And she said, listen to me, you son of a bitch. I came here because I was told that you can fix me. And we find out that Olivia shot up from where she was sitting to where Samwise was standing without her cane. Is that it? Is she still going to be hanging out with Sam? Is, is, she, is, is, is she still going to be learning sort of like like PT things with Sam or is that all she needed to become the Olivia that we know and love? Because it, because if you ask me, that's a little quick. You know, the two big moments are the end of the episode. When we see the observer looking at the briefcase and when Olivia is fed up, she's it's, it's actually a karate kid moment because it's, it's her saying like, you were going to fix me. And all we've been doing is hanging out in a bowling alley and doing chores. And then he's like, look, you just walked. I, I fixed you. And it's totally like, I thought you were going to teach me karate and all I've been doing is wax on, wax off. And then it turns out that's exactly the moves you need to do karate. And so the muscle memory has been built up. So I thought that that was really interesting that it did seemingly come quick because Olivia really went from like, help fix me to them by the end of this episode being like, dude, this is bullshit. But then now she's fixed. So I'm interested to see if she will need more interaction with Sam Weiss to to get all the way there but seemingly by the end of this they're like okay three episodes of olivia not up to speed and not in her usual state is all we're going to sort of do and we will have to find out next week if she is cured or if this is an ongoing thing and we will find out when we talk next week we are going to be looking at episodes four and five Momentum Deferred and Dream Logic. So if you are watching along with us, check those out. And I know we are getting the return of everybody's favorite Vulcan in one of these episodes. So hopefully some more answers will be flying our way as this Mystery of the Week episode basically put a lot of stuff on the back burner until the very end. If you guys are enjoying the show, please share, like, follow, subscribe comment, do whatever, let us know, get the word out. You can listen on any of your Spotify's, your Apple, your podcast platforms. We also have a YouTube channel with the back episodes. So if you'd rather check it out there, that's the place. If you want to get in touch with us on Twitter at JJ universe, eight one five or tweet using the hashtag radio eight one five, we'll read your comments, concerns, questions, or mysterious goings on on the podcast. So get at us. If you want to shout at me, I'm on Twitter at Matt Crandall. Marcelo, Twitter's a good spot to reach you. What's your handle on there? I'm at CreekFanatic88. So that'll do it for this episode. Thanks very much for listening, and until next week, Radio 815, over and out. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.